I want to add my welcome to everyone that's here tonight. We appreciate you being here. What we'd like to do is take a little while tonight to have several speakers come up and give you a brief review of the types of mission works that are going on here. I want to also inform you that we have a missions committee that meets the first Thursday of every month. And we would invite any of you that have an interest in mission work to come and set in on these meetings and help us as we decide how we are going to go forward with the mission work here at Mount Juliet. If any of you had a chance to read the bulletin, you saw that we spend $200,000 of the money that you give to the church to do mission work in several areas. Many of you had taken the time to see the displays that are out in the foyer. And I would ask that as you go out tonight, if you haven't had a chance to go through and look at all those, see the pictures of the folks here that have been on mission works, see the pictures of our missionaries, so that when you pray for them, you think of them, you will have a face that goes with that. Also tonight, I would like to introduce to you the teammate of the Fowlers. Brian and Melissa, I see Brian but not Melissa, if you would stand up. This is the couple that will be accompanying the Fowlers on their work in Brazil. When you see this face, you can sit down now, thank you. When you see this face, go up and say hello. Go up and shake hands because this will be a family that will support our family. Something that the mission committee came up with are these little blue envelopes. They are out in the information center. But after our experience with Haiti, the extra contributions, the amount of money that came in, it was a little difficult to keep up with because of the generous nature of this church. But what we have now are these envelopes. They have Brazil, El Salvador, Sudan, Ukraine, and then other. So if we do have a special need at some time, you can use these envelopes. They will get to the right spot. If there is somebody that you want to support on a mission trip, one of our teenagers, one of the adults, and you want to be part of their work individually, you can put that contribution here and put the name on the envelope. That way, when the people count the money in back, they will know that this is designated especially for whatever mission work you put on this envelope. So please be aware that those are out there. The one thing in closing before we start tonight that I would ask you, more important than anything, as you look at those displays, that you see the names in the bulletins, as you hear the names and see the individuals here, that you would add them to your prayer list. Ask God to bless them. Ask God to bless the work that they will be doing in his name. Thank you. Good evening. I'm Mark Rinks, and I've been a member of the Missions Committee just about ever since we've been here for about 12 years, I think. And uh, Mount Juliet supports Heritage Christian University in a small amount, and that small amount is earmarked for scholarships for deserving students. And Heritage Christian University was formerly International Bible College, and it's been in business training 
uh, ministers and saving souls since 1971. Heritage Christian is located not too far down the road from here, just over the Alabama state line in Florence, Alabama. Heritage Christian University offers undergraduate and graduate degrees with Bible as the only major. Their program strongly emphasizes practice in ministry. They offer both a campus program as well as uh, off-campus program through online using your computers. This fall, the enrollment of 138 students reflects the growth in both distance learning and the graduate program. Both the undergraduates and the graduate program are accredited by the Associates for Bible Higher Education. They went from a two-year college as International Bible College to a four-year college, and then now as Heritage Christian University, they offer a master's, but you only get a Bible degree. Through the years, Heritage Christian University students and staff and faculty have been responsible for well over 14,000 baptisms. Heritage Christian University graduates are worldwide evangelists from most from most of the, they go, they've went from there to most of the states in the United States, Canada, Africa, Asia, the Pacific Islands, South America, and other places. So it's worldwide in scope what they do. Heritage Christian University has a typical graduating class of about 25 students. These students tend to stay in ministry for life and continue to do great work for the Lord year after year. Some numbers that would be of interest maybe that's on the screen, and this is both the students and the staff. The student, when he's there, he is busy. He is preaching, he is teaching, he's doing door knocking, he's doing studies. So you can see that 14, this is for 12 months, this is a 12 month snapshot from December of 2008 to 2009, uh, December of 2009. 1,463 sermons preached, uh, 1,786 classes taught, 831 personal studies, they made 2,794 visits, they responded to 2,014 prayer requests, they had 402 restorations, and they had 273 baptisms, and that's, they're very active, and that's part of their requirement in order to get their degree, they have to be active in evangelism. Heritage Christian University and a desire to make ministry education a possibility for all who desire it, Heritage does not charge enough tuition to fully fund the institution. Fees for a full-time campus student will run about $13,000 a year. Only about 25 to 30% of the total budget is covered by tuition. For every $1 in tuition, Heritage must raise $3 in donations from churches and individuals uh, who are passionate about the training of preachers, teachers, and missionaries. And Heritage would like to thank everyone who has continued to support them Together, they are accomplishing much to advance the cause of Christ. There's an HCU display out there as you go outside to the left, right behind the, right there, the first left in the auditor, first table to the left in the auditorium. Please stop by and take a look. If you have any questions afterwards, see me. I'll be happy to help you in any way that I can. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mark. Uh, my name is David Burka, and Melissa and I have been watching over the, the work in uh, Guinea, West Africa for 22 years. So back in 1988, we started supporting Brad and Esther Willis in their work. Uh, before they went to Africa, they were in Italy for 10 years doing mission work. Uh, and after that, they decided they needed to go to uh, Africa to translate the Bible. And so they've been doing that for the last 22 years.
Now, Brad has completed translating the New Testament. Uh, the Old Testament uh, is close to completion. Uh, we have to understand they work in a Muslim society. 100% of the people that surround them are Muslim. So they kind of work not necessarily underground, but very quietly and to the side because they can't let their name be known to a lot of people in government because they could be killed or, or whatever. It's a very dangerous situation for Brad and Estill over there. But they've been there for a while and, and they're doing a wonderful, wonderful job. You'll see some pictures here in just a minute of some of the people, some of the faces uh, that are in Guinea, uh, West Africa, and some of the people that you are helping. Okay? The Susu people are being taught the Bible and are being baptized. Brad is doing an excellent job there. There's some of the folks that, that you're touching. And Brad couldn't do this without you. Without our support, without your support, Brad could not do this. Uh, Brad oversees also other translation groups. There's probably nine other groups that he oversees uh, uh, via computer. He does that. He works with other language groups. Brad also travels to Sudan, and he advises other uh, native workers in approximately 14 language groups about their ability to translate the Bible. His main focus in life, his main focus is to make the scriptures available so people can read it in their mother tongue. Okay, now Estel, his wife, is, uh, doesn't just sit by and, and, and not do anything. She is very, very busy. She is uh, consulting with the new Christian wives uh, in Africa and helping them. She also helps abandoned children. Let's get down to really why I'm up here and why Brad is in Africa. What is the Bible in English worth to you? Think about that just for a minute. What's that worth to you individually? What has the Bible done for your life? What is the Bible in English worth to you? If you had never seen the Bible in English, how much would you pay for one? You've never seen it in English. How much would you pay for the Bible? How has the teaching of the Bible changed you? What about your children? How has it changed your children? What about your marriage? Reading the Bible, what's that done for your marriage? What would this country be like without the Bible? What would you give for the Word of God? Would you give your house, your money, your spare time, would you invest your life in that? Listen to how important this is. Go with me to Deuteronomy 11 and listen to these words that you've heard before. It says, fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land. God wants us to make his word the core of our lives. Now, we have the Bible. Every one of us has a Bible. Probably have a dozen Bibles at home. We have it. It's easy to get to. We just have to pick it up. What would it be worth for you to get the Bible into people's hands that have never seen it in their language. Would it be worth your life, your health, your money, 
I'm telling you folks, it is worth that, and the Mount Juliet Church of Christ is involved with that, and we're working with Brad Willits in Africa on that. You are very important to his work, and we thank you so much for your support. But lives are being changed. Lives are being changed. What is the Bible in English worth to you? And those people in Africa, it's worth the same to them in their language. So God bless you, and thank you for supporting Brad Willits. I'm not dressed like a preacher. Number one, I'm not a preacher. Number two, these are my work clothes in El Salvador. We've been doing work in El Salvador since 2001. Uh, started there after a, a hurricane, no, excuse me, after an earthquake. So this year, this coming Friday, we will have a team going, leaving down for our 10th medical mission. During the nine preceding years, we've established four congregations and helped edify two congregations. One congregation, their building was destroyed by the earthquake and we helped them construct a new building. Some of these numbers are guesses because I don't have all the numbers, but I'm gonna say that, that we've probably treated close to 15,000 people in our medical clinics while we've been down there. There's no telling how many Bible studies that we've had with people and close to 100 baptisms over the 10 years. Almost 100 people from Mount Juliet Congregation have been on one of these trips. If you look around the auditorium tonight, you'll see a lot of the, all the colors of the rainbow in these shirts. And just for impact, if you've been on a Latin America mission trip, would you mind just standing quickly so we can just see how many people have been. Now, if you're going this year, that counts too. So I see some of the, the blue shirts like this. David, stand up. David Minton, pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> While this hundred people or so have gone on trips over the past number of years, more than that have stayed back here and helped. You've helped prepare materials, collect materials for us to take. You've helped the teammates fund their trip. You've helped fund medicine. Uh, you've helped fund Bibles and songbooks. And that, for that, I say thank you. We could not do these trips if it wasn't for you. We have six major mission points in El Salvador. St. Augustine, the preacher there is... Oscar Amaya, Osmin Amaya. San Francisco Javier is Oscar Zelaya. Usulatan is Jonas Martinez. Santa Elena is Jeremiah Zelaya. And I want to point out that Jeremiah is Oscar's son. So you got a second generation uh, going on there. Much like Elias, who's teaching in the other room, his father is a preacher. So we have second generation Christians in Honduras and El Salvador. In San Salvador, we have Victor Bonilla. And in Tonocatepeque, where we're going this year, we have Enrique Rodriguez and his wife Isis. Marvelous Christian men that are laboring in a very hard field there. <coughs> this year, 
we have 26 people uh, from this congregation going. Their names are before you. I ask you to make a note of them and pray for us this week. We'll be, like I said, we'll be leaving Friday morning. Pray for us while we're gone. Look after our families that we leave behind. There's six or eight with a star beside their name. There are rookies this year. Rookies have a special place in my heart because next year I have an easier time teaching the class because there's nothing better than to have eight one-trip wonders, I call them. They've been down there. They've gotten sick. They've worked hard. They've been in the weather. <clears throat> they've been in the heat, in the dust, and they've seen those beautiful black eyes that need Jesus. It's a man that from uh, Arkansas. He's an obstetrician. He calls it his Macedonian call. At night, he wakes up and he sees those dark eyes. And they're calling him to come and help. This man should have been retired a long time ago. And he goes back uh, a couple of trips a year. Believe it or not, he's been on more trips than Bill Staggs, which is hard to believe. And Bill goes several times a year, but this doctor's been on more. That's El Salvador. I have the blessing to get to talk to you about two works that we do. Um, the other work that, that we do is in Greece. We help support um, Alexander and Eleni Miralitos. I don't know if that's how you say their name or not. I just call him Alex. They are in Athens, Greece at the Omonia congregation. Uh, when they have church on Sunday, they kind of do it like we used to in the old days. They start early morning and they last until almost sunshine, sundown. But the reason they do is they have a service in Greek, a service in English, a service in Russian, and a service in, uh, in Romanian. They have probably 10 or 12 ethnic groups that attend that congregation. Uh, this family needs our prayers. Uh, Greece is in somewhat of a turmoil now. Inflation is rampant, and they're struggling, but they're doing a good job for us. They're doing a good job for the Lord. Uh, several of us who went to Ukraine a few years ago had the opportunity to have our stopover in Athens. We went to Corinth, we went to Sincrea, went to Mars Hill, and I've never seen a man that knew more about the Lord's work in the history of the church in Greece than Alexander Merlitos. So keep them in your prayers, keep our El Salvador preachers in their prayer, and particularly our team this week as we depart on Friday. Thank you. Please turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy, the second chapter, and verse 2. And then just hold your finger on that passage, and we'll get to it in a moment. The number one question about our exhibit is, what is this thing here? And um, if you will come by our exhibit, which is right by the water fountain out there, I will tell you what it is. I wish I had a t-shirt 
If they had t-shirt shops in South Sudan, I would have had one. It might have cost $40, but uh, I would have tried to buy one. How do, you, um, how do you tell about a mission ministry that is extremely exciting because of this potential to explode and to be greater than our comprehension in five minutes? Maybe I could do it by telling you a story. See, when Griff and I went to uh, South Sudan in February of 2009, the church in the village of Opare in South Sudan uh, did not exist. And it is a good example of how the church is growing in a very encouraging way there. When we visited there, it was because of Samuel Akeri, who was a Sudanese refugee who was converted here in Nashville, wanted to go back to his home village and establish the Church of Christ there. And so we visited uh, uh, his home, visited his family, visited his relatives, and, um, and um, preached a, a gospel sermon there to kind of introduce the church and what Samuel was trying to do there. Samuel um, got some people in the village together and they built this brush arbor in which they could hold services. And then he made a sign that says, The Church of Christ welcomes you. Now, of course, at this time, they didn't know enough about the, the Bible or the church or baptism or anything else that there had been anybody baptized. They hadn't had any preaching except the one lesson that I had done. But then Isaiah Jackson from Juba went there and visited with them. And a leader of one of the other churches in the area named James went there and helped to teach them. When I returned in uh, February of this year, I found the church in Opari was, was thriving. There had been, been many baptisms during the past year. And when I visited uh, there uh, in the area, on Monday, some people from the Opari congregation came to, to visit me. And I asked them how the, uh, how the services were at the previous Sunday, how many they had had. And they said that they had 99. They don't know how to make preacher counts, or they could have gotten that up to at least 100. <laughs> They're now building a new building. I met the chief when I was there, and he took me out and showed me a piece of land he's giving us and the church in Opari. It's a piece of land fronting on a major road there, and it goes for a third of a mile on that fronting on that, that road, and goes back two-thirds of a mile and he says that we can have more if we need it. He's giving that to us, hopes that we will do something that will benefit his village. A good example of how the church has grown in Sudan is a man by the name of Julius. Now, here's Julius um, also with Isaiah Jackson uh, on the right, I believe it's a right, uh, in this picture. Now, African people believe that when you point, take a camera and point it at them, that they're supposed to try to become as much like a stone as is possible. And I have learned that uh, when I raise my camera to take a picture, I say to them, show me some teeth. And then they get relaxed and start smiling. 
The first time that I met Julius was on this trip. Julius was the friendliest, one of the friendliest people I've ever met. He had a smile that was big as everything. And he came and shook my hand in the African way and held my hand with both of his hands and said, so much love, brother. Now you see, Julius was a former Catholic. He had been baptized. Now, less than three months after he was baptized, Julius started preaching. Now, Julius, as you see him in this picture, and these pictures, is successfully evangelizing and baptizing others, as is shown in these pictures. Now, if you look at 2 Timothy, the second chapter in verse 2 now, this is exactly what Paul meant. He says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men, who will be able to teach others. Here's a picture of uh, some of the 30 church leaders who attended um, the latest leadership, leadership workshop that Isaiah conducts in Sudan to teach the leaders how to, how to conduct services. Five of these were women, not because they were church, not because they were leaders in the congregation or preachers, but they came because they wanted to learn more about the Bible. A lady in one village came to me and visited with me one day and she said she was a leader of the women in the congregation. I asked her, well, what does a leader of the women in the congregation here do? And she says, well, I go around to the women in the, in the church and I, I encourage them to attend services and I, I help them to study the Bible. Well, I thought, well, I don't know any better explanation than what a leader of the women in the church does, but she had a complaint. The complaint was against the, the leader of the church there, and she said, we are not being trained. There are several thoughts that come to my mind that I hope that Mount Juliet will never lose sight of as, as we are involved in the Sudan project. And that is why our, our original and our principal objective in South Sudan is to establish a preacher training school. We have the Sudanese men who are capable of teaching Sudanese men in their language and in their culture. I hope that we will never forget that the urgency of getting this preacher training school established is illustrated as, as we think of how much more could be accomplished if these men and others like them had the opportunity for more concentrated training and study. Their success has come despite this minimal training that these faithful leaders have received. The thought occurs to me day and night. Are there more Juliuses out there that we need to find? How much more effective, how many more people could Julius teach and baptize if he had some training, if he had some concentrated training? On the back of one of these pictures that I've shown you that they sent me, they had this note that I hope you'll pay very careful attention now because it wasn't necessarily a note to me, it was a note to you. 
It said, We are so grateful for the Lord for this increase. Can you see how very important you are as a partner? As we team up together, the gospel of Christ is being shared throughout Sudan. There are many more exciting things that I could tell you about, but it would take more than five minutes. We've been able to accomplish so much in our trip back there last, uh, this past uh, uh, February. And we are accomplished enough that it's urgent that I return no later than June the 1st of this year and to be able to begin construction of this preacher training school campus. If you'd like to know more about this, be sure and stop. I will tell you what this is. Good evening. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about our uh, ministry in Ukraine. If you would turn with me to Matthew, the 28th chapter, verses 18 through 20. Of course, this is the familiar great commission that Jesus gave to his apostles and disciples before he left this earth. Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. I want you to notice one particular thing in this, uh, particular, in this verse here. Jesus says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Uh, we've heard from several people so far tonight about some of the mission points that we go to, and we'll, we'll hear... Uh, some more before this evening's over and there are many others that we don't share in because there's a, we don't have the, the resources to share in all of them but it's our responsibility to go into all the world it doesn't matter if the nation is, is poor or rich if the people are from a high socioeconomic class or a low class our duty is the same is to go into all the world let me tell you a little, just a little bit about the uh, description of the people in Ukraine. Uh, general, generalizations are always wrong, but I mean, at least they give you some idea. Uh, Ukraine is a formerly, as you know, a part, was formerly a part of the Soviet Union, dominated by communism for many years. But since, the, since they have maintained, they have come, had their independence from, from Russia and, and the Soviet Union, they have now become a very nationalistic nation, a very proud nation, and, uh, and they want to sever all the ties with Russia. They, they don't even want to speak the Russian language anymore, and some of them are starting that in the, in the, the grade school to teach the Ukrainian language to the children. Their religion is primarily uh, the Russian Orthodox religion, which is uh, a religion that's similar to the, to the Catholic faith. Uh, they believe in Jesus, uh, but many of them are, are just religious in name only and uh, because it's a, a good thing socially to be a, a member of that church. When we've been over there, we've found that 
sometimes they're a little bit slow to be, to be uh, friendly to Americans and foreigners, and, but we've also found that once we establish a relationship with them, they're just wonderful people. People are people everywhere, and, and these are great people. This is a great nation. We've been working with a, a church in a little town called Krasner Misk. This is one of the oldest works that we've supported here at Mount Juliet. Uh, if you count Central America, uh, of course, we're, Central America is, I'm sure, the oldest, but we've been there since the mid-1990s, and this little church was started. They've gone through many challenges and many uh, problems throughout the years, but they still survive. And, uh, and we are working to help them in that area to survive. And we're working them not only to survive, but to grow. They have a, a fantastic young man as a preacher now. His name is uh, Sasha Radnif, and he is a hard worker. He's young, and he's zealous, and he's doing a good work. And, uh, and people are being brought to Christ. The, the congregation, we have seen it grow. It, is, it has gotten so low that there are only maybe five or six people attending. Now it's up to 20, 23, and, and growing. And he's reaching out to the young people as well. There is an orphanage near Krasner Misk, and the, the Church of Christ there at Krasner Misk has developed a, a relationship with that orphanage, and they go out there and they talk to the children. The, the children are taught the Bible in, on many occasions, and uh, we've done several different things to try to help them reach the, the, the congregation, to reach the, the children over there through this orphanage and various other orphanages that are over there. Uh, last year, uh, I know many of you are familiar with the teddy bear ministry here. Well, we made an attempt to start one over there, and at least from what we can see in our reports back from them, it's been successful. They, are, they have given these teddy bears to the kids at this orphanage, and they've just been so excited. And, and on each one of these little teddy bears, it says, uh, given with love from uh, the Krasnomist Church of Christ. So they know it's the church that cares about them. Well, things are going pretty well, but there are still many challenges. Uh, one thing is they need a better place to worship. Uh, they've uh, been in, in various different uh, worship places or locations over time. And now they have rented a small apartment on an upper level. I think it's the fourth floor, which, of course, is not ideal for a church. And, uh, and they're, they're looking. They, they actually have a building fund, and they're saving their money, and they hope to someday be able to, to move into a, a building. And, and we can pray that they, they will do that, and, and that would be wonderful for them. How can we reach more of, the, of these people in, in Ukraine? I think the, the answer, and I've heard this through uh, different sources, the uh, uh, EEM, for example, in your Eastern European missions say that the secret to reaching Ukraine is through the children because the children, they don't, they, they don't grow up with, they don't have these uh, mindsets and they don't have these ideas. They can be trained because they're young. We, we know that uh, it works quite well with children. Orphanages are common everywhere, as I mentioned before, in Ukraine because children are often abandoned. It's not because the, the children's uh, parents are dead all the time. It's because the, the, they need more teaching. 
they need more teaching on, on the home and the responsibility of parenthood. And also, like in America, the, the divorce is rampant over there. And certainly we can do more to, to teach in that area. But we have made some progress in teaching through the orphanages. How can we help here at Mount Juliet? Of course, we can pray. We can pray for the work. Just like we, all these other missions that we've talked about tonight, we, we need to be praying for them. And praying for the people that go there and work with them and, and the local people that are there on a day-to-day basis. We can help provide monetary support for the work. We have a, a trip planned almost every year to go to, to Ukraine and some other places too, and, and you can be a part of that. We can also send encouragement to, to those people that are over there working on, in the field day to day. We've found out recently that Sasha has, has learned English a lot better than he used to, so we could probably email him and give, just give him a short uh, letter in English, make, make the words simple, and he'll understand it. There's so many things that we can all do in, for all of these, uh, these works, and I'm just really happy to be a part of the, the work in Ukraine. I've, I've, in, I've enjoyed going over there. They're great people to, to work with, and I'm, I'm looking forward to a great increase in the kingdom as time goes on. Thank you. Jay was right this morning when he was preaching, and he said that we like Paul in Philippians 1-3, thank God every time we remember the Mount Juliet Church of Christ. Amy and I thank God for you at our dinner table. We thank God for you throughout the day. You are a great church to be partners with. I'd like to extend a couple thank yous about this weekend. Thank you to Doug and Sharon Perry for organizing Missions Emphasis Day. And thank you for organizing the Sponsoring Church Workshop yesterday. Thank you to the missions committee and eldership for your support and eagerness to be a church on a mission. That's exciting. It's exciting to, to, to have been with you this weekend and to, to see you uh, renewing a flame that's always been there uh, to be a church on a mission. And I'm excited to be part of it. This church has made it possible for the light of Jesus Christ to shine on several continents in this planet. You've, made, you've sent light to shine in Ukraine, in El Salvador, in Guinea, West Africa, to all the mission points that Heritage University puts out, and now to Sudan. And you're about to be part of the first ever group to send the light to one of the darkest places on the planet, North Brazil. Belém, Brazil is located at the end of the Amazon River where the Amazon meets the Atlantic Ocean, just south on the delta there is where Belém is. The closest church of Christ to that point is a five-hour plane ride. It's a several-day drive. It's like here to the other side of Texas. That entire region of that continent is dark. Belém, with 2.4 million in its metropolitan area, is the largest city in Brazil that doesn't have a church of Christ or a mission work of the church there. It is, according to the 
Bureau of Statistics and Demographics, the fifth most influential in the city, affecting more than 10 million, uh, 10 million of the country's inhabitants. This is an incredible need for the light of Jesus Christ. Our mission team has a well-thought-out plan to find and disciple lost Brazilians to become totally committed reproducing followers of Jesus Christ. And that's our key. We have the same goal that, that, that the Sudan Project has, to find faithful men who can teach faithful men. You wonder, well, what are you going to do when you get down there? What are you going to spend your time doing? We intend to find people like Isaiah Jackson and Julius. We intend to find those men and equip them to be the ones in the river doing the baptizing and the ones in the buildings and in the, their homes doing the preaching. This work begins with laying a good foundation. Someone once said a wise man builds his house on a rock. And when the winds blow and the rains come, his house will stand firm. And that's going to be the focal point of the next year of this work, is building a solid foundation. We need to get to Brazil, set up a home that we can live in, learn, learn to be proficient in the language well enough to have meaningful discussions on the existence of God and religion and salvation. We need to be able to spend time there gaining an understanding of Belenese worldview so that we can speak to their hearts, to refine our strategy based on our findings and make contacts who will become disciples of Jesus Christ. This will be our priority over the next 12 months. In Mount Juliet, you will be our life support. We are counting on you for everything that it takes for us to live there. Physical needs, we're counting on you. Fellowship that you get each and every week will be few and far between for us. We're counting on you. We're counting on you for edification, for friendship, for encouragement. We need you to think about us and contact us often. That's difficult to do when we're living on another continent. But other than Brian and Melissa, there won't be anybody there for us to commune with on Sundays. Shepherds, we need you to ensure that we are spiritually nourished and healthy so that we can stay and do the work. Mount Juliet, you will be holding our rope and we couldn't have asked for a better partner to do that. Our prayer is that you'll always hold it and hold on tight until this mission is accomplished. And we feel confident that you will. In order to get to Brazil, which is the first objective that we have for this year, I can think of about five things that we need that you can be a part of. Number one, we need you to draw near to us. We've got less than two months left here, hopefully, before we go to Brazil. And we want to be your friends and want you to be ours. We need a, a group of people who loves us and that we can count on, that we can communicate with and fellowship with, even through Skype and phone calls and emails. Number two, we need 100 committed prayer partners, 100 as a minimum. And this is a congregation of almost 1,000 people on Sunday mornings and sometimes over that. I think we could find 100 people that would be willing to pray every day 
that would be willing to meet together in groups once or twice a month to pray for this work. Number three, we have to raise the last $1,000 of our support. I just want to give you an update. We've raised all of the funds that it takes for us to move to Brazil. We've raised all of the funds that it takes for us to live in Brazil. And we've raised $500 of the funds that it takes for us to be able to do the work of the church in Brazil. All we have left is $1,000 a month. And we, need to, we have to have that before we go in May. And I know you're thinking, well, isn't that for the church to do? The average missionary today is funded 62% by individuals. It's flip-flopped over the last 20 or 30 years. We, on the other hand, are funded already 60% by churches. So we're just looking for 40% from individuals. This $1,000 may sound like a lot, but, but seriously, if 50 people said, I will do $20 a month for the next five years, that would have it covered. I mean, that's like two trips to Chick-fil-A for me. A, t a teenager, a teenager or somebody living on Social Security could be able to do $20 a month. Now, on the other side of that, 10 people at 100 a month would also take care of it. And so would 20 people doing 50. But we have to find these funds and get them committed for the next five years. Number four, we need two or three people to work as a team in getting our newsletters out every month, stuffing the envelopes, getting them stamped, uh, and getting them mailed. And that's an easy job, but we need, we need that. And number five, we need you to be planning a visit to encourage us and give us nourishment. We need you to be thinking, when can I go down and maybe start putting back a, some funds for that to happen. And we need you to be planning on calling us and, and talking to us on Skype and sending us emails. And we'd love to be able to do the same back to you. Uh, we really are looking forward to partnering with this church Mount Juliet, thank you for holding our rope as we get ready to go into North Brazil. You've been hearing about mission works tonight. Our, our different points of foreign mission works. You think, oh, there's lots of lost people there. And oh, yes, we need to go there and we need to save them. But you know the reason that we want to do that, the reason we want to reach out into those dark places in this planet, is because this family here at Mount Juliet, this family cares about your relationship with God. <laughs> we care that God looks around and he calls out to his creation and says, where are you? I want to be with you. Why are you hiding from me? We care about that here at Mount Juliet. And you know what would break our hearts so much is that if there was somebody here tonight, right here in this audience, who was hiding from God. Who, because of sin or because of uh, lack of desire or whatever it is, was in a place where they weren't in fellowship with him. Maybe they've never been united with him or maybe they have and they've fallen away and separated themselves from him. God is saying, where are you? And if you were to leave tonight or any other time you were in this building, you were in that situation without getting that right, without being back in communion with God, it would break our hearts as a congregation. It would hurt. 
And we would be sorrowful over that. And we would care just as much about that one particular person as we would any of these foreign mission points. Maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, that's me. Well, I want to read a verse to you from 1 Peter. It's verse 3. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Listen to this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us, now his mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. That's the reason that we're in this room tonight, and that's the reason we care about all these things is because there is an opportunity here in Jesus Christ to live even after death and to have a new life when you raise with him in baptism right here in this world. To live in this way, undefiled, unfading, imperishable. To have hope. If you want that hope tonight, if you're ready to stop hiding from God and say, here I am. Let me be back in fellowship with you. Please come down as we stand and sing.